Sci-Fi for Me presents Jason Hunt, Timothy Harvey. This is the H2O Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this H2O Podcast. My name is Jason Hunt. And I am Timothy Harvey. And here we are in the studio. Things have thawed out. For now. For now. <sighs> They're talking that there's supposed to be another wave of cold weather coming. So. Of course there is. So, hello, Eastland. Hello, Benjamin, in the chat. Uh, we are broadcasting live to YouTube, Facebook, and Twitch. And uh, hopefully between the three... Uh, we'll have uh, enough of a uh, conversation with people who are uh, giving us their thoughts in the chat. Uh, at the very least, uh, you can sit and watch the dog be <laughs> cute. <clears throat> junior office dog here. Being, being are, junior office dog. There are many, many dog and cat videos on the internet. There are. Oh, and here comes here comes senior office dog, another country heard from. So it'll be. Anyway. Uh, we'll just replace we'll just replace us with them, and <laughs> well, you know, see we what keep, the numbers do. <laughs> we keep making we keep making the joke that we're going to set up an OnlyFans account for the dogs, mm, and sure. I I'm I'm not quite there yet. Um, I don't know that it would be worth. The effort, but you know, it, you never know these days. People are strange, strange people. All right, so today um, there was an article that broke in Vanity Fair, mm -hmm. and we are just less than a month away yeah. from Zack Snyder's Justice League. And if we pull up the uh, monitor, the browser display there toward middle there, we can see here the um, the article. And this basically goes through the details. Uh, and Mindy, you can scroll through there if you want. It goes through the details that we had suspected, and we'd heard rumors about some of this. Right. Uh, but basically giving us a little bit more insight into what happened on the set of Justice League when Zack and Deborah Snyder were in charge. And it is confirmation of several things. The main thing being that this was a mess. Yeah. And something not, we didn't actually need confirmed. Well, we knew it was a mess. We knew it was a mess, but the reasons why it's a mess are a little bit different from what people had originally been told. In the broad strokes, they're pretty much the same. The details, I think, is where the difference lies. Yeah. Um, and you can certainly get the sense that, um, and this is not a new thing, but. Uh, Organizations putting a spin on events for the PR point of view uh, is a thing that uh, yeah. uh, is not new to the film industry or any other industry for that matter, but it is definitely a case of the story that went out um, versus the details of what happened. And yeah. of course, to some degree, you, every every troubled, troubled film production is going to put its own... They're going to try and put the best face on it. They're trying to make it sound the best way. And in the situation where you don't get the original cut or a version of the original cut out in the world, a lot of times that just yeah. Goes well, away. the 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 unique thing about this situation is the fact that we're getting the mm -hmm. Snyder cut. And right off the bat, I personally. I'm not a fan of Zack Snyder's take on the DC universe. I've, I did not enjoy Man of Steel. I absolutely did not like Batman vs. Superman. Um, and there were enough fans 
that shared that sentiment, mm -hmm. and that's where the beginning of this, the, where the where yeah. the wheels start to come off, where. Uh, a number of executives at Warner Brothers were looking at the box office performance of Batman v Superman especially, and it doesn't do what they're expecting it to do. It's not making a billion dollars. I think it's, what, $657 million or something like that. And when and the studio loses confidence in Zack Snyder, who at the time was going to be the architect of the DC universe. But it already had been getting fan backlash for Man of Steel. Yeah. And I think that's one thing that for all the folks, and, and look folks, let's be, like Jason, I am not a huge fan of Zack Snyder's take on the DC universe. Grim, dark. Only goes so far. Only goes so far. There's I, Look, there's, there's a time and a place for it. I, I have said over and over again, Give me a Constantine Hellblazer show that <laughs> Grimdark belongs there. That's that. I mean, that's it's. And it's there's the no guarantee that the one we're getting is going to do that. No, there's not. And and I think that that's that's a, a concern I have is that the you know, if you if you don't lean into the nightmare fuel of Constantine's world, yeah, you're doing you're doing the character a disservice. But I mean, you know, hey, whatever. Um, we'll see what happens. But. You know, the fact that, but look, it's it's a creative choice a studio makes, right? It's this is the this is the way we're going to go, and fans are going to like it. They're not going to like it. It depends on the person, whether it appeals to you or not. Clearly, Man of Steel appealed to some people and didn't appeal to others. Um, Batman v Superman, at the time, didn't seem to appeal to a lot of people. Right. And there was a lot of, I mean, leaving aside the Martha twist, spoiler alert for those of you who haven't seen it, um, which was pretty much bashed across the board. Now, you know, Godzilla versus King Kong, they have to have a Mothra scene. You know... Mothra! Why I, did you say that name? Honestly, if, they give, if that happens, I think the, the humor factor will overtake the... Yeah. I can't it, believe you just did that factor. It's an opportunity. But, so you end up with this, you know, the, the fact that... And, and look, as, a, as someone who likes to think that I'm relatively creative myself, the idea of being able to go back and finish the story you set out to tell when you had to step away from a project... I completely understand yeah. the appeal, and I completely understand the fact that you know certainly um, you know the Snyder's being able to come back and, and do this version on a creative level. I completely understand that, and I I, I don't have an issue with it. Uh, however, however, <laughs> <laughs> um, I and you and I talked briefly about this uh, um, off show. I don't. I, there are a lot of really fantastic storytellers out in the world who I really respect their work. Yeah. And I, even if I don't like the thing they've done, I can respect the idea behind it or, or you know, whatever. Sure. Um, I just don't, I cannot, there's not, a, there's not a storyteller out there who I'm sitting there and going, right or wrong, they're, you know, visionary storytelling. It's like, no. I mean, I'm a huge Neil Gaiman fan, but you know what? Um, Mm, he's a great writer, and I, and I think his his marriage issues and his wife and just all the his personal life is a mess. Is a mess, and you know, or or no, it, let me say it, that's not fair. His personal life has been publicly messy right. a couple of times, but you know what? I don't care because I don't care about his personal life. And so I can enjoy his stories. And but there's like you know like Stanley Kubrick, amazing director, wonderful, incredible films. And yet I can look at this, I can look at uh, you know his movies and find flaws with them. I don't, yeah. I don't have that kind of you know, and for the extreme Snyder fans out there who are just like he can do no wrong. And it's just like um, no. Yeah, I see. And, and that bothers me. That I, bothers me that we have that. I well, mean, and we have such a unique set of circumstances mm -hmm. here. Um, Eastland in the chat says, Grim and Dark I guess is good, but I want to see what I paid for, so light up the scenes. <laughs> I grew up with static on black and white TV. However, what's good about Dark and Grim is the character. And I would agree. There were there are pieces of 
uh, Batman v Superman that are just muddy as all get out because they're dark. Uh, in and, fair, in in to give it fairness, and so I know a lot of it's CG, the CG stuff. It's no uh, Aliens versus Predator two. No, that's true. <laughs> well, are and, the lights on in the set? Bob, did we pay the electrical bill? What's a light? Yeah. <laughs> I think the other thing, too, is you talk about the, the rabid Snyder fans. I have to wonder how much of it is momentum versus enthusiasm. Because you have the really hardcore, enthusiastic Snyder Cut fans. But... The, the the dynamic of a movement mm. there wasn't any particular leader of the movement per se there was you know just this organic thing that suddenly got more organized mm -hmm. and you know Snyder got out in front of it and then suddenly now it's a it's a massive right. thing but for all that everybody is calling is counting this as a win this would not have happened at all if Warner Brothers and and and, and AT&T didn't have HBO Max to sell the only reason you're getting a Snyder cut at all is to sell subscriptions to HBO Max. It is a means to an end. And and we see this a little bit in this Vanity Fair article where they're talking about the opportunity that they saw. Mm -hmm. You know, this didn't this this directive did not come from Warner Brothers. Toby Emmerich did not want to do this, as my understanding. Jason Kalar and AT&T said, "We have to sell HBO. What have we got?" Well, because I mean, in, in many ways, the business model is you have a film, it didn't do well, you move on to the next thing. Right. Just the, the Man of Steel and, and Batman v Superman and Justice League are not the first three films in the history of cinema to have been disappointing in terms of box office, to have not satisfied the fans. They're not the first films, they're not going to be the last films. And the general idea is, is that, okay, We'd went and and you you saw this in what the studio decided to do, right? Mm -hmm. Basically, it's these films are not getting the reaction we want. Let's change direction. Right, and the the article details out uh, Christopher Nolan and Deborah Snyder mm -hmm. watched Joss Whedon's version of Justice League. Zach apparently has never seen it still mm -hmm. because Deborah told him don't ever watch it because it'll break your heart and. I think the the sympathy for the Snyders is a big factor in all of this because of what happened with their daughter. Mm -hmm. But reading this article, it sounds like they were already fighting an uphill battle with the studio to begin with because of the lack of confidence that Warner Brothers had suddenly, you know, this we are not sure if this is going to be. And, you know, Jeff Johns and John Berg now on set and we had been told that they were coming on board as the overall producers when actually they were there to handhold Zack Snyder and kind of, well, the studio says to do this and, and the babysitters. And, well, he described you know, them to some degree as babysitters, but he also pointed out, and one can, you can read this a couple of different ways. Sure. You can read it as him legitimately meaning this or it can be a polite way of saying... He said that they were not really in his way, that they were basically, they had ideas, he thought some of them worked, and so he, he it's, I don't, and it's, I don't, I don't want to put, I don't want to put negative motivation, I don't want to assign negative motivations to Berg and Johns. Right. Because Jeff Johns, up until this point, Jeff Johns had a decent reputation among comic book fans, because mm -hmm. he's Jeff Johns, he's a good writer, he's, you know, he's got all of this track record, but... He's not a movie guy. No. And John Berg, for all of his track record, how much has have either of them done with superhero films? Yes, Jeff Johns grew, you know, learned at the knee of of Richard Donner. 
but that only goes so far. Well, I mean, look, being, being a fantastic writer and writing for one medium, or more than one medium, yeah. doesn't necessarily mean it translates well to the in and out daily operation of a movie set. Well, and it's like we saw... hard work, kids. If, yeah. you've, never, if you've never made a feature, <laughs> there's so many moving parts, and it is a real challenge. And it takes a certain kind of storyteller. And, and for all that, I'm, there are, I have mixed feelings about a lot of Zack Snyder's movies. He's a visually compelling storyteller. He does a really good job with that. I, mean, I will always give him credit for yeah, the, the visually, movie. visually he's he, you know, soup to nuts. He does really good work with the visuals, the stories that he tells or tries to tell. It's almost like okay, every modern day director, writer director, has a flaw, has an identifiable flaw. Zack Snyder. We call we, we call them human, by the way. That's, well, that's what that means. Yeah, but, you know what I mean? but I mean a consistent a consistent thing that you see throughout all of their work. With J.J. Abrams, for example, he never can stick the landing. He's terrible with endings, and he's a copycat. Yet he just takes stuff that he's seen before and he recycles. But he can never give us a satisfying ending to any of his films. Zack Snyder visually. Great stuff. You know, he does wonderful work with the visuals, but plot and story structure, not really quite so much his strong suit. Okay, I will say that he's a good, he's good at adapting existing material to a point. Yeah. Okay, so 300, and really, really so much of, so much of his career, for all the fact that if you like Dawn of the Dead, his, his take on the, you know, the sort of a, essentially a remake of, of Dawn of the Dead that he did, which I quite enjoy. I think it's a fun, well-crafted zombie film. Yeah. Um, but you get into something like 300, where in many ways he took the comic book and he used it as storyboards and he made a very stylized, very cool-looking movie. Nothing wrong with that, and, yep. and it follows his story beats. <clears throat> Where you start to see some of the real questions, I think, for for people like me and, and, and you and I have talked about this in the past too, for, for some of your reactions, is that when he is either telling his own stories or he doesn't quite get or, or doesn't want to stick with, because like, it may be a conscious decision, the original point of the source material. So you look at something like Watchmen, visually very lush, the first 10 minutes, 10, 15 minutes of the... Of the I, there are people who will sit there and say, I can't stand Zack Snyder, but the first 10, 15 minutes of Watchmen is gorgeous. Oh, yeah. And, and it is. Um, but there's, a, there's some thematic differences between his version of Watchmen and the comic book that change things in, in big ways. There's a... There's a, a there's a slickness and prettiness to the superhero violence in, in his Watchmen that is notably absent on purpose from the graphic novel. Yeah, the graphic novel is much more brutal. And it's also about the consequences of violence. And if you'll note, when you get to the end of the graphic novel, spoiler alert for a 30-year-old yeah. story, um, there are no superheroes when the stories end. They're all gone. They retired, yeah. or they left the planet, or they're dead. And there's this, there's this idea, it's a deconstruction of the idea of superheroes. Now, in some ways, he does the same thing with his, with his Man of Steel and, and Batman v Superman. And I think that it, it clearly, it, it appeals to some fans, and it doesn't appeal to others. There's a sense of alienation that he's built into the characters. Yeah, the thing, the thing that gets me about the deconstruction of the DC superheroes uh -huh. versus Watchmen is that Watchmen did the deconstruction in the book. Mm -hmm. I mean, Alan Moore, that was, that was part of the DNA of that graphic novel. And it carries over into the movies. And part of me wonders if that didn't stick with Snyder because you look at Sucker Punch, for example, and there are some people 
that make the argument that he's going over the top with mm -hmm. the sexism and the violence in order to call attention to how much of a he, problem it he could be. He himself has made that argument. And then, you know, he's, so he's deconstructing, you know, the sexy waifu heroine type of character. Um, and then you have... However. Huh? Is it however? However. <laughs> the, the biggest problem that I have with Sucker Punch is the change in the narrator at the end of the movie. Because the, uh, the entire film is being told from a certain character's point of view until the end. Yeah, so and then it's somebody else telling the story. I'm like, wait, no, you can't wait, hold it. You can't well, do that. You can, but it's a serious story risk. And if it, play, it can play out well. And it's, it's, you know, it's yanking the rug out from underneath the audience. And, and yeah. you may end up may be successful or not. My issue with Sucker Punch, and I, Sucker Punch looks great. Oh I mean, yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty. It's a very cool looking movie. Yeah. Um, and even to some degree, um, I, I can see, okay, it's like watching Natural Born Killers for me, okay? okay. When Natural Born Killers came out, I watched that movie and I went, I don't like this film. <laughs> and not because it's not well made, and it has a fantastic cast, and the story makes sense, and there's a beginning and a middle and an end, and there's themes, and there's, you know, there's there's a point. Sure. And we're told it's meant to be an indictment of violence in media, and I'm going, no, it's a love letter to violence in media, <laughs> and it's and it's a great love letter to violence in media. I mean, yeah. it, it's it, it, there's a reason it's got a, it's got devoted fans. It's a well-made film, and I do not like it. Because I'm looking at it going, if that is your goal, mm -hmm. if that is your message, you failed. failed. Yeah. Eastland says, um, it's an introduction to literature, uh, 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 final cut, art, money, and ego in the making of Heaven's Gate, the film that sank the United oh, yeah, Artists yeah, yeah, yeah. by Stephen Bach. I used to own that book. I'll have to take I the, do take not have it anymore. It, 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 in one of my moves, it disappeared. It's a very interesting book. I... I think with uh, with the deconstruction idea with with Snyder, one of the one of the problems that I have with it is that these are not characters that lend themselves to that. The Marvel characters kind of do a little bit more so because of how they were originally conceived. It's in it's, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna say DNA a lot. It's in the DNA of the characters that the Marvel universe, those characters are a little bit more flawed to begin with, whereas your your DC characters are a little bit more idealized, and they don't, so de deconstructing them, to me, doesn't quite work because it changes those characters a little bit too much. I was going to say, I, say I, I don't necessarily, I, I, I agree and I disagree with you. Because deconstructing the characters. So here's here's what you almost I almost want to have from Snyder doing superhero movies, because he has a he has a kind of tone that he wants to tell with superhero films, right? He wants to show the 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 very powerful godlike Superman being disconnected from humanity and, and finding his way there. Okay, right. that's a journey. Okay, cool. I, I get that. Um, and he wants to show a jaded broken down uh, vigilante who has lost so much that he's he's become very bitter and looks at this you right know, and so I mean there's a specific kind of story he's telling and he's using Superman and Batman to tell that story well that's an Elseworlds title well it's also a story that you tell after 15 or 20 years but you know what not, you know what else it is it it's not earned um, it's Squadron Supreme <laughs> And I'm not kidding. Uh, there's there's yeah. a Supreme title. It's called Supreme. Uh -huh. And the basic premise was, what if, and if you're not familiar with the Squadron Supreme, it's basically Marvel's, it's Marvel's, do, Marvel doing the Justice League with the serial numbers filed off. Right. Hyperion is Superman, Nighthawk is Batman, and this particular version of the characters uh, was set in its own little reality, and... Um, it was essentially the the alien spacecraft crashes, 
but instead of being raised by a couple from you know farmers in Kansas, it was raised in a completely artificial environment with essentially government agents playing his parents, um, and he was basically being groomed as a weapon. And then Nighthawk in this particular reality, he's been there's been a number of different versions of Nighthawk, and the Squadron Supreme has been both heroes and villains in Marvel, depending on the interpretation. And this particular Nighthawk is a um, very wealthy African-American uh, version of the character, but he's also very angry. There's a lot of rage behind his vigilanteism. Um, and so there's, I was, I was looking at, because I was going through some of my boxes the other day and I came across copies of Supreme. And I'm looking at it going, no. There's a lot, of, there's a, and, and the thing is, is that that was a deconstruction of the same thing. It's the same kind of way of looking at these characters as being, you know, to some degree. So Man of Steel made a lot of people very angry on the, on the superhero fan side, Superman fan side of things, because of the level of destruction we got, and the fact that it was, you know, and yet, I've, I said since the time I saw it, and you and I had our first conversation about it, this is what would happen if this was happening in the real world. Right. And it's nightmare fuel. And that, unfortunately, and that's, and again, that Snyder's telling that story. He's like, what would these people be like if they were real? Yeah. And it did, though, it, it felt at the end of Man of Steel, the amount of destruction, it really did feel like it went a step too far. It, Okay, we it went over the top. It was too, it was gratuitous. It got to the point where, yes, in the real world they would be doing this kind of thing. This level of destruction would be there, but after a certain amount, you go, oh come on, well, enough already. And it, it gets it get you know you can only you can only hold the audience's attention for so long. They're gonna they're gonna. There's only deal with so it. much destruction porn you can take. Right. And I think that, that yeah, it, it pushes it a little far. And I think that you end up, his, his interpretation of Batman, I think, to some degree, does this, has the same issue. Yep. Um, the problem with looking at Batman in a very realistic manner is... As opposed to a Wayne manner? Sorry, I had nope, to. Nope, I did. I, I completely, <laughs> and, I, and I wish, I wish I could say I had set that up on purpose, but I did not. Um, the problem with looking at Batman in a very serious manner mm -hmm. is that... Um, you realize how screwed up Batman would be in the real world. Well, yeah. I mean, and he's he's screwed up in the comic, folks. They're aware of this. He, he's in fact, it's part of the plot is that he's aware that he's got you know have you relationship seen, issues. Have you seen that? And this is this is not to get off track too terribly much, but you know the joke that he makes in the comic in the in the movie when Flash asks him what his superpower is, he mm -hmm. says, "I'm rich." Right. Well, now for, for whatever reason, all of a sudden. I'm starting to see a bunch of headlines. I think it's comic book resources. They're now going in there trying to basically talk about how how Bruce Wayne is is a terrible person because he's rich and he's using. I'm like, wait, wait a minute. Wait, okay. So first wait, of all, what what? So first of all, this is not a new argument. So for a long time, and there have been there have been discussions. There have been discussions in the comic. This is this is not a new thing within the comic book world where people have discussed that Wayne could be using his money better than mm -hmm. he's using it, and so the folks over at Comic Book Resources, if that's who it is, you're late to the party, folks, because this is a comic. I mean, this is discussions that were happening back in the '80s. Yeah, but the impression that I got, and I haven't read when the Greed articles. was good, folks. I haven't I haven't read the articles yet. I need to go in and look at well, it. But the impression that I got was that they are approaching it from the standpoint of Bruce Wayne and his white privilege because he's rich. And I'm thinking, that just, well, just I, stop there. So, so here's, the, here's, here's the argument that makes the most sense, and it doesn't require white privilege, but you can look at it this way if you feel so inclined, is that all of the money that Bruce Wayne spends on fighting crime, mm -hmm. which is a significant amount of money, um, as Batman, with all of his... Oh, those wonderful toys. Yes. Um, could actually be spent um, in affordable housing, could be spent with uh, education programs. Could, there's a lot of different ways that, from a real-world pers 
perspective. And here's the problem with applying real-world perspectives to comic books. <laughs> and the same thing with it's the same thing with the Snyderverse. Well, is yeah, that, is that once you start applying the real world to these things, you have to look at them in a certain way, because. And that sets up a certain level of expectation that it must go a certain way in order to make sense. Right, because the real world functions in real world ways as opposed to, because in the real world, folks, I, I, this may come as a surprise. You know Elon Musk is Batman, right? Oh, that we're so screwed. It's better than Bezos doing it. No. <laughs> not, you know, it's, well, it's, neither one of them should do it. Yeah, we don't. We're not, we're, this is not how I want Batman. But, well. but by comparison, though, you look at what 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 Musk does with his money as opposed to what Bezos does. Um, you know, Bezos is into acquisition of different things. I I don't know how much philanthropic stuff he does, but you have you know Elon Musk, you know, with SpaceX and with Tesla, and he's got some things that are. You know the the cool toys. Of let's go and do the thing, and the and you know go out and see, you know put a car in space and whatnot. But he's also coming up with, um, you know the the sustainable energy and you know electric cars and and that kind of thing. So his his priorities are in various different places. Well, and some of it, some of it's also I think that in without defending any rich industrialist who has way too much power because they own too many things because. Yes, there's there's a little bit of that going around. Um, I love Amazon, but um, I can get anything I want just by pushing the button. Yay me! Yeah. Um, yes, I know. I know. So, uh, but the problem the problem is is that for some of these folks, it's like they're very public about what they do, and some folks aren't, and that's perfectly fine. But and it in also that sense, it also opens up for people to do a lot of speculation about well they. You know, and, and I'm not. I'm just. I'm using this as a broad strokes thing, right? It's where it's like, well, they don't. They they keep all that money to themselves. Maybe they're giving a lot of it away. We just don't know. I mean, well, and, and a good example of that, that, just just because it's just recently come come out in in some of this, uh, a lot of the philanthropic stuff that Rush Limbaugh was involved in, he never told anybody about, and we're just finding out now some of the things he did for people now that he's dead and and people are starting to say well you know he did this for me and he did this for me and he did that for me and Bruce Wayne as a character kind of strikes me as that kind of wealthy individual who yes I'm going to I'm going to be I'm going to play yes he's playing a character with the the wealthy sure. ne'er-do-well playboy, playboy. But he's also putting money into Wayne Foundation and and um, Dr. Tonkin's clinic mm -hmm. and you know, all these different things. Well, like, he's just the, very quietly doing the ne'er do things. well kind of thing is really almost a thing of the past in the comics. It's been very much a yeah. And, and in fact, in the current storyline, um, basically the Wayne fortune has basically been ripped away from Batman, so he had to go back to his sort of. Back to basics. Uh, back type. to basics, yeah. and which is which is you know an interesting take on it, and I and he's got access to the fortune if he really needs it back. It's the whole thing with Catwoman and getting it away from the Joker and things and stuff, right? So, uh, but the, I think I think that what they're what these folks are coming back to the point. That what these folks are really pointing out, um, at least at the like I said, this is not a new argument. So if you're if you're getting clicks from it right now, all power to you. But you're you're not treading <laughs> new ground here, folks. Um, the idea being that the significant amount of money he puts into beating people up for a living could be put to better use in a real world scenario. I think. But, I but, think some of it too, though. I mean, the cost of doing business for Batman. You have maintenance on the Batmobile. You have upgrades to the computers. The multiple Batmobiles, by the way. But the plane. Once, the plane. But once the money. Jet fuel is not. But cheap. once the money is spent, you know the initial cash outlay for the stuff. Then yes, you're going to upgrade. You're going to tinker. Breaks but breaks so many things. I know, but I'm just saying. And I know. So, well, again, it's, it's, he's not doing a startup every single day. No, but I think that, again, you run into the problem. I mean, you look, folks, do not stare directly at your superhero storylines. Yeah. Don't do it. And that's one of the fundamental issues that a lot of people have with Snyder's version of this mm -hmm. is it's 
too, it's too much of an attempt to be realistic. Well, and what, what we could have done here, and I think that this may have actually, this would, and it wouldn't have had the same reach, to be fair. But if he had done what Alan Moore had done with Watchmen, because of course the original version of Watchmen was not going to involve characters like Dr. Manhattan and, and Night Owl and, and Rorschach and, and Silk Spectre, these were going to be Charlton heroes. Right. Which DC didn't, was originally probably, well, as I recall, they were originally okay with them, they decided they were going to use them, so they said you can't do it. Right. And this actually freed him up to do stories about heroes that were like these other characters, but he had the control over them. And in many ways, so the, not having Superman and Batman and Wonder Woman and The Flash and Cyborg and all these other characters to play with um, would not have given, if he'd made a super, if Snyder made a superhero movie without those characters, just suspiciously similar characters. Sure. You it, could do something a little bit more like that. With you, it. you could his uni, his the Snyderverse makes a lot more sense that way. Mm. For me, for me, and, and yeah. again, folks, if you are enjoying the Snyder films, if you enjoyed the Man of Steel, if you are just super looking forward to his version of Justice League, I'm, that's fine. I'm, I'm curious. I'm, not, I'm curious too. I'm curious to see, and and you know, like a lot of people. I feel bad that he didn't get to finish the first time around, and and I, if if it had been the studio doesn't have any more confidence in you, you're fired. We're bringing in Joss Whedon. Happens all the time. That would happens be a completely different set of circumstances. Mm -hmm. But as we see in this Vanity Fair article, it's at at the risk of sounding crass. It's a, a fortunate timing on, for the studio's part that he has this family tragedy. Now we have cover that, you know, Zach and, and Deborah have to go and deal with their family and do this thing. They're going to stay. But the way it's reported now, they left to deal with family, but also... They didn't have it in them to keep fighting the studio, well, and and it, the oh, indications yeah. there are that once once Batman v Superman underperformed and the studio said we're in trouble, I can imagine that there was probably a lot of back and forth and tug of war between studio executives and Snyder trying to finish his film. Just let me do what I'm going to do and, and see what happens. And then you have Whedon coming in and doing something completely different, basically. Um, and I think, what, 60% of the film is, is it's, yeah, it's new that Whedon of. did. So I'm curious what the Snyder Justice League movie is going to look like. At, at four hours, he gets the room to tell the story that he wanted to tell. And... And yet, in the middle of this article, there's this there's this thing about he. Yeah, I wanted to do this romance between Batman and Lois Lane, and I was just like, it's the needle skip in the article for me. <laughs> it's like you're, you're and yeah. I'm like I'm like, what? Okay, now to be, to be fair, to be fair, if you go back and look at some of the animated Batman and Superman, I know. I know it's there, there was but. there was a hint, there was a flirtation. Now this is back before Clark and Lois got together. Yeah, but okay. So that changes it a little bit. But consider, but it's in, in universe, in the Snyder universe. Okay, uh, yeah. so Superman is dead. Yes, and and along Lois is grieving. Along comes the rich, yes. swashbuckling guy going. There, there, you poor dear. Yeah, yes, exactly. I, like, know. I, I, was just I know. Like, I was like, oh, God. No, 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 just, no. It was, uh, I'm reading this article, and my entire body cringed. I'm, and I was like, oh, this is a that's one. That's one point on which I'm going to agree with the studio when they said no. <laughs> well, and you and I had this, you and I had this issue uh, when we talked, um, uh, when <sighs> Jimmy, Jimmy from... Jimmy is the CIA agent. Oh yes, Jimmy Olsen. As the CIA yeah. agent who dies and, and it's just like, okay, do you, do you, do you know? 
what do you care? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was it's legitimately things like that that I think that for some folks who are and and staying off the internet and discussions at the Snyder Snyder Cut can probably be safer just because there's there's folks who love who are, who are passionate about it and they are and they are willing to defend that passion online and there are folks who are adamantly against it and they are willing to defend their adamant yeah. being adamantly against it and, and now, this as, is as an aside let me let me take this this opportunity to point out that you're not on social media paying attention enough sometimes to to some of this stuff <laughs> because I'm there going why should I have to put up with this all by myself? Well, you know, it's, this is drama. Is this just... is possibly one of the reasons why I don't get on social media. Okay, no, the primary reason I don't get on social media the way I used to is because I drove for a living for four years. Right, and by the time the end of the day rolled around, the last thing in the world I wanted to do was sit down in front of, essentially, you know. And just oh no, yeah. um, but but it can get ugly. Of, but part of it is is that when I came back to social media, I just don't I just don't have the energy in my life to work up that kind of anger <laughs> to people I don't know. The the thing uh, the You're, that's not even your real name, well, Bob Thirty Seven. The, <laughs> the only I I will agree with you. To a point, but I'm also going to sit there and say that without the social medias, we don't have as much of an opportunity to tell people about the work that we do. <laughs> I know, I know. So it's it's a it, it, well, we we have mentioned a couple of twelve times on this very show mm -hmm. the uh, pros and cons of, of yes. the internet and social media. It, I'm going to start sending you. Emails and say, okay, just copy and paste these. <laughs> just, just copy and paste. Just copy and paste. Takes five seconds. Copy like, and paste and do it. Like, oh, uh, I mean, someone's gonna yell at me for Mazerous, this. <laughs> Mazerous promotes the channel more than you do. Yeah, I don't know. Well, that seems do like that. a terrible. That's a terrible idea. idea. Uh, but by the way, uh, Mazers, I saw that you came in. He said his he got his alert that we were live twenty two minutes in. So, so yeah, it's interesting. We um, uh, I was discussing this with 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 my boss at work. The notifications when I post something to our training account, uh -huh. I tag our company main company account, and an hour or two hours will go by before Twitter yep. pings. And so, I mean, because it's... And part of that's the algorithm. Yeah, I know. Because if you don't, you know, likes and comments and shares and all that other stuff, that affects, you know, well, more people yeah. like this, so more people need to see it. And it's, uh, it's yeah. yeah. It's, you know, and I'm not calling you out, by the way. I'm, just, I'm giving you a hard time, but I'm not. Right. Just, just, just to be clear there. But the, he the, says mean things to me all the time. Folks. You know, you just don't he, even know. I just, I just he, have to... He hits me when you're not here. <laughs> He's just joining in with everybody else. That's I right. I want uh, I want to see it. I'm curious about it. I know that th that had circumstances been different, it never would have happened. And I think too, without his daughter's death, you wouldn't have the fan outcry and enthusiasm and pull for this either. Yeah. If it had just been. Well, it's just not working out. We're letting him go, or he's quitting, or whatever. And we bring in Whedon. None of this would have gone on. The whole movement itself would no, never it even start. There, there would have been people who would have been upset because clearly the first two films did have fans, and I think that. Um, and you can tell he's going in a direction. Oh yeah, because I mean the original plan, as I recall, was there were going to be five films. So yeah, because there were going to be two Justice Leagues. Two Justice Leagues, and I think there was what the. The fifth one was going to be. I think Man of Steel too. Yeah, I think okay, that that sounds right. Um, and and if and as I understand it, that was going to be it. That was going to be here's the five films, and then and then Warner Brothers is going to reboot the thing like they do, right? Like the, you know, because because honestly, no one was expecting when 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 DC started their ver, their DC universe. Even the most optimistic person over there at Warner Brothers was not looking over at the Marvel 
thing and going, it's going to still be going the way it's been going. Right. Because the model has been, historically, you don't get this kind of series of films that just keeps going and holding on. Great. That's fine. Um, and if, you know, but we've been talking for a long time that the superhero bubble is eventually going to burst. And folks, it's going to burst. Yeah, but we're well past the time when we were thinking that it was going to happen. Yeah, but, you know, we also were looking at it and as a small genre thing versus, say... So in many ways, superheroes, superhero films are a subset of the action film genre. Or yeah. the fantasy film genre. Sure. You, can, you, can, right. you, can, you can slot it in a couple of different places. But you look at something like the Western, which stuck around for 30 years, really. Uh, before it kind of started to go out of vogue. Um, the crime picture, mm -hmm. which ran from the 1930s through kind the of the 70s. Yeah. So, yes, I mean, so, I mean, if we have 40, 30 years or 40 years of superhero films, it won't be a terribly huge surprise. It's just not an expectation because it's a subgenre. Yeah. Um, and but it's almost kind of become a genre in and of itself mm -hmm. because yeah. because now, especially with the, the way you look at how... Feige has been approaching the Marvel things as if it's a TV series almost and he's the showrunner and you've got different different episodes of the show where you can tell those different types of films you can do the you can do the the spy thriller with Winter Soldier you can do the the World War I, the World War 2 film with Captain America you can do you know the well, different the, types. You've got of your the, space the, opera with space four. Opera. You've got the heist movie with Ant Man. Yeah. So mm -hmm. all of those basically is we're going to tell the western with capes, right. you know, or we're going to do the film noir with capes, and and it's a completely different approach. And it's still we're telling a comic That's book movie. That's what they should do with Moon Knight. They should lean noir into noir noir horror. That's what you should. That's Moon Knight should they, be noir they, horror. Folks. Well, they very well might. I think that would be because it would lend itself very well to the character and, and the storylines that have been the successful parts of the, the characters. Although, to be honest, I think we need to lean into dear, dear Warner Brothers. Give me a Vic Sage question series, mm. question movie. Make it a three-parter, three three films in, in Vic Sage. Lean into both. The um, the crime thriller, the um, a little bit of the horror, there's more Some crime film, thriller, but a little bit of noir. film noir, but also the last film could be Renee Montoya taking up the mantle, because you've got Vic's story in the first two, right. and even in the third film, um, his journey as a character, and then of course he he gets cancer and, and passes on the mantle to her. Um, Dear Warner Brothers, <laughs> I have. I have the entire run of well, the Vic Sage question. And you know, <laughs> in May... I'll help you write it. <laughs> in May, Milestone is coming back. I know. Milestone Media. So... This is... If there's, I, there's possibly an opportunity there. I've got, my, I've got my fingers crossed because it is... Are we it, getting a static... We're getting a static movie, right? That's, Live action? That's what we've been hearing. Yeah. I would, I would be curious to see what an Icon and Rocket superhero movie would, would look like. I, so I'm suspecting... Who would you cast? Okay, so this is one where I'd almost think you'd want to do for, for you know, uh, bringing in someone... Well, you go, okay, so, so with Snyder bringing in uh, uh, Henry Cavill and, and Gal Gadot, okay? Right. You have two, two, two actors who, to American audiences, were really not known. I mean, right. Gal was going to... She was going to leave the industry... Yeah, she, she was, was not, done. She was not getting the part she wanted. Yep. She was going to go back. She was going to go back to Israel. And uh, um, while um, Kevil had been in things, he you know this was this was really his breakthrough role, right? Yeah. So I would say you'd you'd, you'd cast. You can you can have the peripheral cast be be you know uh, actors you recognize, but bring in new folks. Could bring us bring us some, what some about, brand new people to play. What parts. about John Boyega as icon, or is he too young? Is he too short? He's too young. Height doesn't matter in Hollywood. I know, but I am taller than Tom Cruise. 
I am not tall. I am five foot nine. I am the average height of the American male. Who else could you put in there? I, I mean, you got Michael B. Jordan, but he's you know now he's in the Marvel stuff. He's Killmonger. He's getting his own. It sounds like he's getting a series. But who else? Who else would be a possible oh, I candidate? Think. I mean, Denzel Washington's too old. Idris Elba is too old. Yeah. Well, I guess it depends on. I guess it depends on on your spin on the character. Because if you you could do an older icon, Lawrence Fishburne, twenty years ago. All of the, you know, <laughs> Denzel Washington twenty years ago. Yeah, can but, you imagine? But Lawrence Fishburne has the build. Oh yeah, he's got he's, he's, got, yeah, the he's, build got, he's got the for build. It. That's true, and, and that's that's something. Matrix I would Matrix see, era. I would Lawrence see Denzel Fishburne. Washington more as John Henry Irons. See, I think that would be an excellent choice for them, and I, and yeah. I think you. And I think you could actually do, certainly because it's a multiverse now, mm. you could do you an older could. John Henry Irons. You still and, could. And oh, would that be something, John? Denzel Washington as Steel, or you do, you do your Kingdom Come universe. Yeah. So it's the superheroes are older anyway. Oh sure. And you, of course, then you have to decide who the heck are you get. Oh, that's that's you get John Hamm. That's your, you, the folks who want a uh, John Hamm as Hamm as Superman. You yep. finally get John Hamm as Superman. Although you, you know, do, you could do Brandon Routh because he's he's already been that character, and he's old enough now. You he's can old pull enough it off. Now. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, you still <laughs> could bring Shaquille back as Steel. You could. You this could. Is, it's a choice. <laughs> it's not one I would. Well, because then make, then but. you could do Denzel. Or Avery Brooks, maybe, as the black Superman from Earth... Right, right, right. Uh, right, right, right. Uh, 38 or something, or wherever. Yeah. But anyway, to, to get well, back... Well, see, but that's, see when you get your, that's when you get your all your different Supermen. Yeah, and, and, and everybody. Well, and Flashpoint being what it is, mm -hmm. you know, now we're going to get all of those things. But see, the, you know, like you're talking about, where the plan was the original five films... And Justice League was supposed to be two films. Right. And it sounds like we're getting both of them all together in the one four-hour epic thing. Because Warner Brothers said, two hours. You can only do it in two hours. And so I was like, oh, I can't tell all of my story in two hours. So well, there was already did, a limitation he point there out, to he begin goes, with. Well, no, actually you can. And apparently they did. Yeah. But yeah. I don't see how it would work. So. I think that... Eve, if if Snyder had been able to do his five, and you get to the Flash, and you're doing Flashpoint, there's still your reset button. Right. So it almost feels like the that was built into the plan from the get go. Well, and that seems to really be the have been the case. And I think that if if even for the folks who just did not like those movies, you would have gotten through the five films. You would have gotten your reboot. And you would liked or disliked what they did yeah. next. The it was the have, interruption. Yeah. Well, the problem that I have with the reboots, the constant reboots. You know, Spider-Man gets rebooted, and then it gets rebooted again, and Batman gets rebooted, and Superman gets rebooted. You don't have, you don't have the momentum and the longevity that you can build on, like they're doing over at Marvel. And I don't want to compare the two, but. The Marvel films, for all that everybody says there's a formula, there's a track record. And you have 22 films now that have just, one right after the other, right after the other, has made money. Mm -hmm. Plus, you have this continuity of all of these characters could show up anywhere. And you keep rebooting over at DC, you, you well, completely squander that opportunity for the connectivity. Not only that, but you get re reboot fatigue. Oh, yeah. Because uh, once yeah, upon no a question. time, reboots happened all the time. Sure they did. Yeah. The thing was is that there was a gap mm -hmm. in between the reboot. Yeah. Uh, and the only the only show the only things that got rebooted on a regular basis without the big gap in the middle was Doctor Who and, and James Bond. Right. Uh, and and those, those were kind of and really bond. And really, those weren't really even reboots so much because it it was it just kept going. Well, I mean, oh, actually, that's true. Up until the Daniel Craig, which I think would we could argue was mm. uh, that a, a I'd legitimate say would be a reboot. hard reboot. Yeah, uh, and I think and I think it actually worked in the case of of because quite frankly, 
they were getting a little silly. Well, and you have to refresh. The, so the thing about Bond is that if you look at the character for what the character is, I mean, if you've never read the books, James Bond in the books is not a hero. He's a he's a very effective agent. Yeah, but he's not a hero. He's, he's the protagonist. He is yes. He's he's the not he's the nominal protagonist. <laughs> he's an al, he's an alcoholic murderer is what he is, and and that's the to some degree that's kind of the point of the character There's, yeah. that's in there. Um, and Fleming knew those people, and he built. I mean, the, the effectiveness of that kind of, of well, he lived that life. Yeah, essentially. So, the Bond version we get in the movies is already a fairly sanitized version of the character. Yeah. Um, so rebooting the character from time to time is a good yeah. thing for Bond. Mazur says, I'm tired of the Batman reboots. He says, I like Bat Batflack much as most fans would disagree, not because of Affleck, but because we were exploring Bruce Wayne as an older man. And that, that's, a, that's a good point, because mm -hmm. we have not seen older Batman in the films. We've all, it's always... Batman starting out, Batman gets a new partner, Batman's been doing well, it for a while. I mean, Clooney was older-ish. Okay, so Hollywood loves the origin story. I know. And, in all fairness to the new Batman, which is, in fact, something of an origin story, at least... Oh, Pattinson? Yeah. I don't, I don't know that we're getting any kind of an origin in there. Uh, there's, it's like year one or year two, but I don't... It's I, close enough. To, year one is close enough to an origin story. But at least it, when, when, what I do like about it and what intrigues me is the fact that they've leaned into a visual style mm -hmm. and, a, and a kind of a tone to the... It a, feels, the apparent tone to the storytelling. It apparently. feels very much like they're using uh, Francovia art mm. as their storyboards. And I'm looking at this I'm like, this is... Because he did, because you remember, uh, he did that project called Batman Seven, uh, Batman Seventy Seven or something. Mm. It was a, a like a one shot or a, a limited series or something, and it was Batman in the seventies, and the whole style of the book was you know pre disco seventies, mm -hmm. and the artwork was just fantastic and. It really does feel like, because a lot of people have made that comparison. It's like, oh, this looks like Frank Viola's stuff. And when you do that kind of thing, when you make that kind of an artistic choice, you know, it either, you either really have to lean hard into it, like Tim Burton, or you don't quite make it stick. Yeah, and I think that with, with this kind of style and the choices that they're making, it it, we're continuing with the idea of a grounding in reality. Mm -hmm. um, now, which could change with Flash, because Flashpoint is going to change everything. Well, yeah, to, which reality is grounding in which reality yeah. is the thing? But so you. But can, I do like the idea that we're also going to be getting another older Batman with Keaton. Yeah, and and I think that this may actually be for all the the arguable, arguably clear missteps of Warner Brothers. <laughs> plans for their superhero films, um, this might be the course correction that, cause certainly allowing the directors to just go off and make yeah. their, their superhero movie. And if they connect, they connect. And if they don't, they don't. Um, I'm, I'm of a mind. And then they build a, a, a full giant Crisis on Infinite Earth two-parter. There you go. And, <laughs> and destroy it all. I'm of a mind. And reboot with the new 52 and destroy it all again. I've been reading. <laughs> let me. There's... There's these books. Um, these are the voyages. This is a this is a book, and it's in a series by Mark Cushman. And um, let's show that on the thing there, Mrs. Boss. That's this is one of three mm -hmm. in the second set of three, detailing the years. The first three books were the production of the original series of Star Trek. This set of three goes from when original series was canceled through the production of the first motion picture. Mm. And throughout all three of these books, it is very, very, very clear that 
from the 1960s to today, Paramount Pictures has never understood Star Trek. Ever. Well. Ever. The, the stuff that's in these books, and I highly recommend that you read them. I'm, I'm in the process of writing a review of them, but it's, you know, it's all three books. And I'm going to have Cushman on uh, Live from the Bunker on Wednesday. Mm. But it's very clear. The, the studio just never understood it and never understood why people liked it. And I think that Warner Brothers... AT&T, AT&T might get it a little bit better than Warner Brothers does. And Warner Brothers, I don't think, understands the superhero characters that they have. Hmm. I think they keep, they keep trying to do something with them and, that doesn't fit those characters. And they don't understand how to make them work. And they hire these people who talk a good game, but they don't know how to make it work either. And so you get what we're, what we're dealing with now. Part of the problem is that it takes a long time. Well, no, let's qualify that. It should take a long time to make a feature if you're going to spend millions and millions and millions of dollars. One should not rush into production. Um, there's been many a studio which has not learned this lesson and has yeah. come back to bite them. But the, the process that it takes to get a film from uh, script to release can be years and years and years. And tastes in comic books and how characters are portrayed in the comics shift. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that can be very fast. Yeah. And you look at something like, say, so, so when, when DC decided to do the New 52, the idea behind the New 52 was let's refresh our characters, let's, let's bring in new readers, let's, you know, and and to a degree, to a degree, it accomplished the goal. The it problem did. is, is that um, you finding the balance between between the the folks who have been reading your comics or your novels or mm. your TV show or your movie um, for years and years and years, yeah. for, and and bringing in new readers or, or viewers. And, and to be honest, you have to, for your medium to survive, you have to, the, you have to build the next generation. Right. The, the problem comes when you change things so completely in order to appeal to a new audience that you alienate your existing audience. And, and frankly... And that has you, happened quite a few times. Well, and if you want to do that, that's fine. But you need to s commit... Yeah, because if your if your goal is to bring in the new audience and your old audience is not your concern, except, commit. And except in those cases where you make the decisions to appeal to the very very vocal audience, who's not buying any of what you make, and then you don't have an audience at all. Right, <laughs> and yeah, we're we're seeing some of that in the comics industry now with Marvel and DC both making decisions like, okay, who are you trying to attract as a reader? Because nobody's buying this stuff. Well, and I think that so. I think that DC, DC has certainly improved um, with, of course, resetting with rebirth and all of these mm. things. And I think that as as someone who has been looking a little bit at the, um, was it Future State or whatever? The, whatever future States it? now, and then you've got Infinite Frontier coming right. next. Right. So future, I, I've been looking at the Future State stuff, and it it is a wonderful selection of Elseworld titles. Yep. And quite frankly, I was like, okay, this is an interesting storyline. And they're telling him in two issues, basically, and or, or a handful yeah. of issues. And they're well, done. January, February, and they're done. Yeah. And I'm like, cool. Okay. So it's a it's a it's a company wide what uh, you know, uh yeah. Elseworld series. And I'm like, interesting. And then they're moving on. So I'm like, yeah. I'm, I'm on board with that. All right. Speaking of moving on, we're past yeah. we're past our hour, so we're gonna go ahead and and head out. Uh, those of you in the chat, thank you very much for your yeah, comments you and and uh, and your thoughts. If you are uh, looking at this after we're live, if you're in replay mode, we still uh, welcome your comments as well. Uh, and if you have uh, topics that you would like to suggest for us to discuss, you can send those to us as well. Please. Our email address, h2o at sci-fi for me.com. And I, 
this conveniently dropped in as a topic for today because two weeks ago, we had a conversation. We said, oh, we could do this and we could do this. And we, and we had the next two weeks planned. And, then and last week... We did okay. We did we did the topic that we were going to do with the board game movies, uh, and we completely spaced whatever it was we were going to talk about this and week. And neither one of us can remember what it is. I do know somebody, I don't know if it was Mrs. Boss, somebody had suggested a topic along the lines of remakes that should be made that haven't been made yet. Uh, yeah, I think Movies that didn't up. quite stick that yeah. if you remake them, maybe you can, maybe you can make Battlefield Earth, maybe. So not being a fan, not being a fan of L. Ron Hubbard, I'd be okay if they never really do. I don't think uh, he's a good writer. Uh, but now, I'll tell you what: we do have a suggestion to make Battlefield Earth a watch party movie. Yes, we do. Yes, and we may, and, and it's it's on the list. All right. There's a drinking game in there. Yeah, drinking game always when you're involved. All right, that's going to do it for us, ladies and gentlemen. Pretty Thanks much. very much for being here. And we will be back uh, uh, live from the bunker tomorrow at 1 p.m. Eastern. And tartar sauce maybe this week? That's the That's hope. The plan. We'll do tartar sauce this week. Okay, so that'll be Friday. We may be, we may be looking at some of the Doctor Who toys. Oh, okay. That's, yeah, that's right. Yeah, because y'all um, were talking I, I, about I, it. We, that's, that's, that's one of the thoughts we're leading towards. Okay, so we'll have that. And uh, Mark Cushman in on uh, Live from the Bunker Wednesday. And then we're back here next Monday with, uh, with more. Talking about something. All right. Good night, Thanks, everyone. Folks. Copyright 2021 by Flaming Dog Media, LLC. All rights reserved. No portion of this program may be retransmitted without the express written consent of Flaming Dog Media.